TikTok, the ban is coming, or is the TikTok ban really coming? What do you think, Roberto? Eh, who knows? <laughs> from Los Angeles. It's your social media lawyer, Ian Corzine. Hi, everybody. I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer, and welcome to the Social Media Law Podcast. I'm extremely excited to be joined by Roberto Blake, who's taught creative entrepreneurship for the past decade on YouTube and the other social media platforms. Roberto, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Ian. It's good to see you. You're looking good. Oh, well, thank you. You too. Uh, Listen, the reason I brought you on is because in the past two or three months, you put together a number of TikTok ban-related videos, which have really skyrocketed up the YouTube charts. And they're really unique because of your insight as far as how it could be an opportunity for creators. And so I thought for my audience, which is mostly creators, it would be great to have you on to explain to us about that opportunity. But before we get there, we got to talk about the basics, which is what is the TikTok ban? How could it be implemented? Why has President Trump decided to institute a TikTok ban? Uh, What it means for creators, as I mentioned. And then finally, we'll end today on whether or not the TikTok ban will really happen on September 15th, September 20th, September 21st. It, doesn't, it depends on the source. Uh, but supposedly later on in September, there will be a TikTok ban. Sound good? Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about it. I mean, you have a lot of insight into this more than me. You're the lawyer. <laughs> well, listen, we'll just talk about it. And I, I do want to hear about what you think creators should do if there is a TikTok ban. Yeah. But before we, we get there, let's go to some background. You know, in your own understanding, what is the TikTok ban really? So uh, from my perspective, and I'm seeing a lot of this happening in other countries, we already know that it's been banned in India. We know here in the United States, no member of the United States military or um, serving in public office is allowed to use the app. So a TikTok ban in the U.S. actually already is in place. It's a limited ban and it's limited to government employees and government officials. Mm-hmm. We already know there's a nationwide ban of TikTok in India. And we know that the, I believe, parliament in the UK has limited it. Yes, And has put restrictions in place. Mm-hmm. They are somewhat moving forward with a ban. We'll see if they do something in response to following the US's lead or if they do the initiative on their own. Mm-hmm. And parliament in Australia, I believe, is Mm -hmm. already writing legislation that would allow for a ban because of um, how they operate. They have to basically, from what I've read, Mm -hmm. rewrite their legislation to even allow them to ban it because it's considered a communications platform. And so that is something when I look at what's happening globally with that, and then the... um, what I guess people are referring to as the Cold War with the United States and China right now. Uh, um, And when you look at the exchange with regard to how the economy has been affected by things like COVID, you look at tariffs, you look at um, our rough and tumble relationship with our overseas partners in China and how it's affected the tech industry specifically with regard to that. Um, It's not unreasonable to think that this could happen, especially since the current administration has been very adamant about it. Yes. Yes, it's really true. And what's amazing about this, and you highlighted this in your, I think your second video, 80 million American users of TikTok in a country of 330 or so million people. That's a lot of people that may be adversely affected by this TikTok ban. And we're not just talking about TikTok creators, we're talking about people who just are entertained by the platform, which probably is the majority. So this potential ban that could take place in America and it's taking place across the world really could have a major impact, right? It can and it, you know, it treads into, you know, a lot of people in social media are very quick to talk about uh, the concept of censorship. Yes. And you and I have talked about the nature of private companies having the prerogative to dictate what happens uh, within the usage of their their resources, their materials, their platforms. A venue can tell you how to behave if you decide to be physically taking up space in that venue. They have that right. Same way somebody walks into your house, you can tell them, hey, you don't like the rules, you can leave. Mm-hmm. But the 
the thing is, in this instance, it's a government entity restricting and limiting the use of a communications tool that 80 million Americans said yes to. Yes. And have not since abandoned on their own, despite concerns about privacy or security, they've still said, well, I'm willing to take that chance, or I still say it's worth it, or I don't care. And that's a choice that an American gets to make. So I I feel like when we talk about freedom of speech, freedom of expression, we're very critical of the social media platforms. And I haven't seen that same criticism applied to the government, an entity that we actually should be concerned with when it comes to the concept of censorship. I totally agree. I think you're getting into the concept which us lawyers talk about as far as equal protection under the laws. You know, maybe an analogy might be if President Trump didn't like McDonald's uh, and he said, listen, I'm not going to allow people to go to McDonald's and buy hamburgers because uh, McDonald's has a relationship with a foreign country and McDonald's is taking in personal information, personal credit card information when a burger is bought. Does the president have that kind of power to just say to McDonald's, not Burger King, not the others, none of the fast food restaurants, but to McDonald's, sorry, you cannot do business in America. I have a fundamental problem with that. We'll go into more detail on that, but that's how I equate this you know, potential ban of TikTok. I think it sets a scary precedent um, in terms of social media, in terms of regulation. And as somebody is an industry insider and I look at, um, well, you know, people have said in the past when they criticize platforms who um, create their own restrictions, they say, well, it's a slippery slope, quote unquote, which is a logical fallacy. But the real answer and the right question that they do ask, though, is, well, where does it end? Where's Mm -hmm. the line? Mm -hmm. Because if if um, the president of the United States or any excuse me, other world leader can just decide to ban the usage of a communications platform that tens of millions of citizens have opted into and utilize. And that is actually, um, you know, benefiting many businesses, um, individual people's personal brands, their small business, their small business owners, like, um, I feel that that is wrong. And generally speaking, people tend to be, um, especially people who um, tend to agree with this president typically are anti-regulation or at least would like less um, regulation or less government intervention. And you know me, I'm a very adamant capitalist. I consider myself a human centric capitalist though. Like I'm compassionate, but, but I still believe in capitalism. I still believe it does and gets more right than it does wrong. I believe in small business owners. I believe in a free market economy Mm -hmm. and I don't like taking away people's choices. So that's Mm -hmm. where it's troubling to me looking at that and then not, not having, I mean, and it seems that it's also very specific or predicated to, and I understand China is a concern, but when we don't have, or they haven't disclosed to us at least, and I brought this up in my video. Yes. They haven't disclosed to us proof that the information goes to China China and the Chinese Communist Party. They've shown us that the information is recorded and that we're scraping, but it's no more or no less, in many cases less, information than Facebook, Google, Twitter, all of them are collecting. Yes. And I understand that the U.S. and the U.S. companies are not the same thing as a Chinese company that may or may not have ties to the Chinese government. But I feel the burden of proof of showing a citizen who's made a choice to use the platform, hey, your information is leaving the country and going to that place. I think the burden of proof yes. on the, is on the government before they take away a choice that you have. Totally agree with that. Um, and getting into potential evidence of Chinese use of American information, just to kind of start set the stage a little bit. You know, I guess the the executive orders that were issued by the president on August 6, 2020, pertain to both TikTok and WeChat, which are both mobile apps owned by Chinese companies. ByteDance and Tencent. Yeah, and Tencent, yeah, uh, which which have a a loose affiliate relationship between with TikTok and WeChat. I guess the thought with President Trump is he said, he, you know, basically the reason for the executive orders was a national security concern. He was concerned that location data, browsing search histories, all that information about Americans could be transferred to Chinese companies. And then they could use this information 
to maybe potentially track Americans, to maybe blackmail Americans. You shouldn't have been at this location and I'm gonna, you're gonna have to pay me to, to, to not disclose that. Uh, also, the other thing that was interesting is Chinese censorship. You know, uh, would information about, you know, our freedom in America and other countries be blocked in China? Uh, the other thought too is that China could pump disinformation into the WeChat or, you know, TikTok platforms to adversely affect our political processes. So these are some of the reasons advanced in the executive orders uh, based upon the International Emergency Economic Powers Act. What's really interesting and what you just highlighted upon is imminent danger. You know, you mentioned a burden of proof that there hasn't been some sort of showing to the American public or anyone for that matter, that Chinese companies are actually receiving information from the use of these apps. Have, I know you've, you're a student of this particular subject. Have you seen anywhere where someone has said, oh, there was a leak, there was some sort of Chinese use of American information derived from TikTok or WeChat? Not specifically. And again, I I look into it and everything like that, but there are far smarter people about this than me and IT security. I often consult with them. You know, recently I did some consults with them to help um, with users um, in YouTube that were uh, victims of that Bitcoin hacking scam. And um, we're trying to protect, excuse me, the creator community with that. um, So I consult with security experts around this quite a bit. And one of the concerns was also the fact that this went through a presidential executive order. Yes. Um, you know, through, um, I believe it was the um, Emergencies Protections Act is what you said. Yes. Um, yes, the, like that, yes. The, it wasn't passed through Congress, which no. means that it wasn't done through consensus and through um, the the democratic process and also not, it wasn't done through our oh, at the advice or at the request of our own intelligence agencies. Nope. So our own intelligence agencies didn't request this. This is something that um, President Trump and his administration, his his personal advisors and his cabinet, unilaterally decided amongst themselves. Correct. And, th- and that is where I think that first issue that you brought up comes up. In terms of another issue that you brought up, though, that I do want to address and acknowledge is yeah. I mean, it's, is it possible? It's absolutely possible, but we need consensus and we need evidence. And again, if it, there were, it would have went through Congress and it would have came directly from our intelligence agencies and um, through national security um, advocates within uh, our government, the people who serve in the military specifically. And that's not what we saw happen. The other yeah. thing is, mm-hmm. um, wait, you had a thought? Well, I was just going to say, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but ex- you're exactly right. And, you know, uh, so we under- so the, uh, the audience understands an executive order is basically a written direction by the president to the executive branch. There is no voting. There is, it is literally do this. Uh, and so there was no evidence that was brought forward that would justify the executive orders. And what's interesting and it's counterintuitive is you think as drastic a move as this is, you can no longer use this app. You would think the president would be right out front with the evidence, right? Guys, we've uncovered this horrible leak. This justifies this. And then he wouldn't have the problem he has. Right now, it's kind of like you said, it was a unilateral decision. He would have overwhelming support for this if that were the case. And it would um, be a very smart move on his part to present that evidence and to rally that support. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and I'm not trying to be political about this. I'm just trying to be practical and I'm a businessman. I'm thinking about it from sure. the from a position of, well, that would be leverage right now. And that would be very good for his brand right now. As a marketer, I'm like, hey, this would be very <laughs> on brand for Trump. And this would be his, we got him. This would be his, we got him, you know? And that'd be a strong and powerful message for this president. And he it would vindicate him in so many ways, but- the evidence hasn't been presented, which tells me, given that I think, I don't think he would hold those cards close to the chest. That doesn't seem the play no. that he would make and it wouldn't make sense. So if he had the card to play, he would play it. It would be That's his great. Trump card. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but, but, but in all seriousness, um, there was another point. You brought up several other points. Do you want to walk me through those again? Because I want to address them point by point. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, I think 
one of the things we talked about was imminent threat. Um, it still goes to this justification for the executive orders, but we don't have anything that's that's imminent. We just have a suspicion that there's a connection between ByteDance, which is located, I'm sorry, to TikTok, which is located in Culver City, and ByteDance, which I believe is located the, in China, but yes, is so a Cayman Islands corporation. Yes. Now, okay, so let me bring up that point. Yeah. And the issue is, okay, they have um, a tacit relationship to the the Chinese government. Yes. Does Google not have a similar relationship to the U.S. government? And does Google not work on projects directly for the the U.S. government and U.S. military? Did not um, people even within Google recently protest Google's involvement with the American government? Yes, of course. Yes. So what's good for the goose isn't good for the gander? Well, I think that's what the president is saying. Because, I mean, people have brought up and people were very vulgar and very adamant about it in the comments. I saw my TikTok videos about the relationship with China and um, the, the Chinese government with TikTok. Mm-hmm. This is a primarily entertainment app. And they talked about the fact that China bans Facebook, China bans Google. Well, let's look at that. Yeah. Are we going to sit here and pretend that um, we didn't just find out that Mark Zuckerberg personally lobbied the president and was sitting there having meetings and yes. over dinner with dinner. the president yeah. Yeah. to lobby against a competitor to Facebook and Instagram, a.k.a. TikTok, specifically TikTok being a rival of Instagram, and then putting out Instagram Reels, a yes. competing feature uh, within Instagram? So, wait, Mark Zuckerberg can have dinner meetings and lobby the president over KFC. And I'm, I'm joking when I say that, like yeah, lobby the president over like KFC and hamburgers and, and um, sit there and say, Hey, yeah, I think you should really take a harder look at my competitor from China, by the way. And, and, you know, put that bug in the president's ear when Google's own employees are lobbying against their involvement with the U S government are we going to pretend that if we want to say that the justification for banning something here in the States is its relationship with the Chinese government, is everybody else outside the world not supposed to ban our apps and our platforms for the exact same reason? And I would argue that maybe we take it to the same degree or, or a little further. And we're talking about an app where people uh, make memes and yeah. dance and make <laughs> yeah, right. um, cringy, inaccurate videos about personal finance. And that's yes. what we're, that's the, yes. that's our big looming threat to <laughs> national security versus every other country is suspect for not letting Google the, the, the literally the God almighty of information um, into their country. Like, I mean, are you kidding me? And you know, Roberto, coming cool. from the the king of entrepreneurship, the businessman that you are, privacy have we forgotten? Facebook? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> have have we forgotten about the market force? One of the things that hasn't been brought up is if there was a leak of American information, if there was some disaster that occurred, don't you think that the American public is smart enough to say, "Wow, wait, wait a minute." hold on a second. I don't think I'm going to use this app anymore because someone was hurt by it. And I'm not suggesting that we have to wait till someone gets hurt all the time, but until we have a context on that too. Yeah. Yeah. But, but until we have some sort of evidence that there is an adverse effect to people putting, you know, doing dances, doing the WAP dance on, uh, on TikTok, um, how can we legislate and put a law, a unilateral law in place uh, to ban TikTok? I mean, it make, doesn't make sense to me. Well, we know that there are things that are not in the interest of the uh, the good of the people, yeah. excuse me, and are harmful that we don't put nearly as many restrictions on. And we put restrictions on things that are benign all the time. Yeah. People have their feelings about this, but look at um, hemp and marijuana and mm-hmm. look at what the doctors have to say about that and look at the fact that it was lobbying back in the 60s and 70s because of the the logging industry and really it was more about hemp to be honest and um also the manufacturing of the war on drugs marijuana is not something that is nearly as harmful as tobacco and tobacco mm-hmm. is legal and uh so many people are dying from cancer from lung yes. disease and we know for a fact the facts are in it's not debatable that cigarettes are worse cigarettes are bad tobacco is bad 
it, it's straight up and but it's economically advantageous and has been for a very long time it's a tradition and a staple especially for the south mm-hmm. and its economy so we didn't ban it because it was in our financial interest to not make it illegal and it was in our financial or at least the financial interest of people who lobbied for it to make these other things illegal mm-hmm. up until what was it 20 25 years ago wasn't meth legal and sold at general stores like 25 years ago i think is the um the data. Well, yeah. Amphetamine, a variant of that. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's insane that that um, wasn't illegal. I mm-hmm. mean, it is now, but there was evidence even then of it being harmful. Of course. So when you say, well, if something is harmful, will the American people respond and react? It'll depend on the marketing. It won't depend on the reality. It doesn't depend on the reality. It depends on the marketing. Yes. Yes, I agree. And one of the things I also wanted to kind of touch upon, I know, you know, I'm the legal guy, you're the business guy. Uh, but one of the things, we, you know, we always refer to the TikTok ban. I mean, that's, that's the keyword, right? TikTok yeah. ban. And it kind of makes the public, under, you know, think that, that President Trump is just going to say banned, you know, like, you know, you issue an order and, it, and, the, and it's, it stops people from downloading the app, using the app, boom, boom, boom. But if you really look at the executive order, it prohibits any transaction with ByteDance or its subsidiaries. Any transaction is an unbelievably broad term. What's even more crazy is that he doesn't define the term in the executive order. He, he says the Department of Commerce will come up with what a transaction is, uh, and the that's funniest dangerous. part, yeah, well, that's so da- just so dangerous. It's a whole bunch of people that are not elected are making rules on this. And then secondarily, the point is, is that typically when you have an executive order like this that has a definition term, you have to allow the executive branch to actually come up with the meaning before the executive order goes into effect. Otherwise, there's no way to enforce the order. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So it's a really, really broad order that doesn't give us any direction as American citizens about what we can and can't do when it comes to ByteDance or Tencent or any of the the, the mobile app companies. That's also in itself troubling because the way you, you, the way you frame that is interesting. Mm -hmm. The president dictating mm-hmm. what we can or cannot do as Americans, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. with the stroke of a pen. Yeah. I think that that feels itself fundamentally un-American personally. I, I mean, I know that me. treads yeah. into some uncomfortable territory for people, but just hearing that feels wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that feels very wrong for me as a business owner, that feels very wrong for me as a first generation American. My family came here to not deal with that kind of, you know, um, thing, not have that level of authority rest in a singular individual. And then you made another point that Mm -hmm. it goes to which department does it go to? um, Department of Commerce. Department of Commerce, people who are appointed, not elected. Correct. They're or a lifetime civil servants. I mean, some of yeah. them aren't, aren't even elected. They're just hired. <laughs> so that also yeah. brings into question, well, what are their interests in this? And again, what does, like, why do they get to decide what that means for the rest of us? Yeah. And what, where, where is our choice? Where is our choice? And why is our choice not respected? Because mm-hmm. that seems to be a fundamental problem here. And that's uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable. People talk about YouTube, right? They talk about, well, I don't understand what the rules are or what is harassment? Define it for me and everything like that, which is common sense. It's like mm-hmm. the reality is that if you're wondering about where the line in terms of service on harassment is in YouTube, I can explain it to you. And this point will resonate with you really quickly here mm-hmm. is that if you went into a private entity, you went to a bar or restaurant and you started behaving this way toward another patron, the customer, the, the restaurant would kick you out and say, you can't treat a paying uh, patron that way. And they would stand up for their patron and that's how they keep their business and the other the other people in in the restaurant or the bar would probably stand up for that person too so if that situation is what would play out in the real world then Mm -hmm. yeah you know damn well it's harassment you know like people are playing naive with that but they say that youtube doesn't tell them how to color in the lines and youtube doesn't tell them what means things mean and that youtube is being cagey or vague or expecting them to play by rules and not telling them what the rules are and i think that that's that's crap. I think that's a load of crap. Now in this instance, the president is saying you can't do these things. And by the way, at some point we'll tell you what that means. (laughs) That is exactly 
the thing that people who criticize these social media platforms for their rules. Yes. That criticism needs to apply to this instance with this president when it comes to this, because telling you, you can't, when we say a ban and you can't do a transaction. So that means if you're an advertiser, right? Let's say, let's take, let's take um, the, let's take temporarily the viewer and the creator out of this. Let's go to the advertiser, the people with money, the people who have businesses. And it's like, great. I have a business. Advertising on TikTok is so much cheaper than Google or Facebook. And I'm going to reach this audience that I really want to, that's not represented in those platforms because those platforms don't cater to my people. Okay, cool. All of a sudden that option for your business just went off the table and you're at the mercy of whoever, whatever Google, Facebook, and these other ones want to charge when you were getting a bargain and you're not going to get that same bargain. And you can't do that transaction because you're being told that that's illegal and that that makes you in cahoots with the Chinese government. Yeah. That's not fair to a small business owner to just like say that and then not present one present imminent threat present evidence mm-hmm. of um, the danger mm-hmm. and present you with any options or recourse. And also to make that decision, not through a democratic process of your elected officials in yeah. terms of the Congress and to allow it to be executive authority. Yeah. That is a government overreach. That is a government intervention that you as an American didn't ask for, didn't demand, didn't insist upon. Totally agree. I absolutely agree. Bringing up the advertiser example too, you know, they got to plan their budget. Uh, They can't just stop advertising on a dime because now the day after September 21st or 22nd, it's deemed illegal. Um, it's, It's really causing a lot of havoc for creators on TikTok, for advertisers on TikTok, for anyone that's doing any transaction as defined by the executive order with WeChat or TikTok. And like you said, I don't know how you construe this other than an overreach, which brings us to the reasons why President Trump uh, has decided to ban TikTok. We talked about the potential security concerns. You and I both agree that there isn't much evidence, if any, uh, relating to Chinese use of our personal information derived from these apps. The other thing we we didn't touch touch on, but there's some discussion in the social media about a vendetta that the president has relating to those TikTokers who bought up all his tickets uh, to a campaign event in June. uh, And then no, or very few people showed up to the event. You know, you're an expert at looking, you know, reading between the lines and looking behind what's really going on. Do you have any other suspicions about why President Trump is doing this. You mentioned one, I think, in one of your videos, and it has to do with the China uh, trade war type situation. Do you have any other thoughts on that? Well, I have a lot of thoughts. And again, this is, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not versed in government. I'm just as educated as a citizen as I can be, just like anybody else. And I'm a businessman. And my thoughts are a bit, Trump came from the world of business. Correct. His business record is debatable, but he is a brilliant marketer and brand builder. And he is an effective, I wouldn't call him a good orator. I would call him an effective orator. He knows how to play a crowd Mm -hmm. and he does very well with his crowds. Mm -hmm. He knows how to message to his target market. And so all credit in the world to him on that. I think you could analyze him and get a masterclass in marketing. Yeah, I agree. Um, Maybe not in business ethics, um, but, <laughs> but maybe you get your own TV show on NBC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the worst negotiated deals of all time, he asked for a million and got, um, I believe it was 60,000 an episode or something like that at the time. Oh, really? um, yeah. Something like that. The, okay. um, he asked for a million an episode and I think they ended up settling on something like 60,000 episode. Um, I'd have to double check. So mm. don't quote me on that. But um Ironically, Art of the Deal is the worst negotiated publishing deal of all time. His ghostwriter made more money than him. Um, (laughs) But that's documented. That one's a fact. That one you can look up. Um, But I don't take that as a slight against his marketing capabilities, his marketing capabilities, intentional or just intuition. I think he's a natural at that. Um, So my thought on that becomes if we look at the the history of the man, the character of the man, he's said himself that he is a counter puncher and that his father taught him to be vicious and ruthless in um, not just business, but in all aspects of life. Mm-hmm. And that is who his father, Fred Trump Sr. was. That mm-hmm. is his um, 
ethos when it comes to and his philosophy of business. Yes. And he was, he was, Donald himself says his father was a hard man. Mm -hmm. So when I look at that historically, and I think about the way that the man runs his business, the way that he built his brand, the fact that he is himself known for you're fired, which is not the most compassionate uh, thing in the world. His brand is not being compassionate. His brand is not being forgiving. His brand is being relentless, Mm -hmm. ruthless, firm, Mm -hmm. and counter puncher. You hit me, I hit you back 10 times harder. That's the way it is. Mm-hmm. So I have no reason to think that I have no reason if that's the man's history and that's the man's own legend that he built. The mm-hmm. way that he characterizes himself is you don't want to go with me. You don't want none with me. Like it, it's, it's very much that I don't think that he is amenable to doing favors for anybody who uh, he feels whether they hurt him or whether their intent was if they even just the intent or the idea was to hurt him mm-hmm. i don't think that he's forgiving of that mm-hmm. and i don't think that that's his philosophy i don't think he's shown us otherwise i don't think he's said otherwise mm-hmm. and i don't think he wants to do favors for anybody that he doesn't feel is acting in his interest mm-hmm. and so i don't think that he wants to do any favors for anyone associated with China. I think that the ban on China of TikTok and WeChat didn't extend specifically to aspects of the gaming industry, which a lot of people noted. And I think I brought this up in my video. Mm -hmm. I think that he didn't do that because he knew it'd be a bridge too far in alienating too much of his base to to do that. And the thing is, there would be a reason and precedent for that because Tencent as a company has vested interest in, interest in, I believe, Riot Games, Epic Games. Some of the biggest games in esports are um, tied directly to that. And the yes. thing is, in terms of the influencer marketplace, his most publicly vocal influencers in YouTube, Twitter, streaming, and all of social media mm-hmm. themselves are tied to these industries and it's a large part of their income. And then on top of that, a large part of his constituency uses these things as their means of entertainment, if not it's related to their income or anything and like that and have an attachment and have brand loyalty here. Yes. Um, I think that already there is a youth demographic that is not favorable to this president during an election. I see what you're saying. I think given what we saw with Gamergate, given what we saw with gamer activism and how gamers stand up for um, their identity. I mean, you saw what happened to Joe Rogan recently in his podcast saying, oh, well, video games are a problem. And like, and instead of saying video games can be a problem, he just misspoke. He was making a larger point about addiction or about anything being addictive. But he got raked over the coals. It was media headlines. He had a lot of people turn on him over that. He had people making videos that got millions upon millions of views Mm -hmm. and people went about face on Joe Rogan real quick over that. Mm -hmm. I think he was advised to not mess with and not touch gaming. And ironically, ironically, I think that in terms of information and in terms of what's collected and stuff like that, that the information tied to gaming and what the Chinese government might be collecting, if you're worried about TikTok, they're gathering as much, if not more information on people based around, um, based around that yeah and and so it's a double standard that i think is very interesting in terms of where they decided to draw the line and i Mm -hmm. would have to believe that he was advised and i think it was smart advice Mm -hmm. to not mess with the video games don't touch the gamers leave them alone i think you know but and and tiktok has it has become politicized i'm annoyed by that like it you know i'm annoyed by the fact that unfortunate as it is politics has invaded every single aspect of our life where we go for escape from Mm -hmm. our troubles Mm -hmm. and i think that a lot of people feel that's unreasonable and unfair on the other hand the world has gotten more complicated stakes are really high and you could argue we don't have the luxury of ignorance or innocence anymore and um that might be fair Mm -hmm. but okay Mm -hmm. you know speaking to motive here. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say that that is a primary motive. I would say it's a consideration. And if the opportunity, if the opportunity to stick it to somebody who you feel um, wronged you arise, I think that's within the character of the man. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm hearing from you um, a multitude of different reasoning, but one of them would be marketing for sure. The other thing is punching back really, really hard uh, when there's some sort of threat 
uh, to him and then punching back at maybe an easy target, uh, which is, you know, again, I'm, I'm generalizing, but a majority, I think, or a lot of TikTok is Gen Z, which he's not getting the votes for anyway, for two reasons. One is they don't probably like him. And then secondarily, a lot of them are younger than 18. Um, so it's kind of an easy target to say, listen, I'm going to take a stand on, on, uh, this, uh, this culture, this, you know, mobile app culture and punch back. Uh, but it's really easy target because he's not going to get their favor anyway. Now, if you went to gamers, like you said, it might be a different story, but I, I, I'm hearing that. Yeah. yeah voting base, strong voting base, multi-generational, um, yes. Mm-hmm. A lot of influencers that are supporters that financially would be impacted. Mm, yeah, I would have. there. Yeah. If I was this conciliary in this matter, <laughs> one, we probably wouldn't be in a lot of these messes, but two, um, <laughs> we would, like, I would advise him to, it's like, yeah, you, you, you leave the gamers alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, we've talked about what is the ban, you know, how would it be implemented if at all? The next step to talk about is let's say there was ban. Let's imagine for a moment there was a ban. That means that the the, the government outlawed any transaction, transaction, excuse me, uh, with Tencent or ByteDance. How would this affect creators in your opinion? If they specifically any transaction with Tencent? If it's, then that would extend into gaming, by the way, immediately because of their interest and stakes in there. It also extends into music because they have stake ownerships in Sony, um, Sony's music label, mm-hmm. uh, Sony Films, and a lot of other things. So the ripple effects of our economy, this would be devastating, in my opinion, because it brings into question who can do business with. If we go there, if we go yeah. there, yeah, it disrupts the economy. So that's bad. But then on top of that, okay. I think with specific regard to TikTok, it would probably look similar to the ban in India. It would probably look very similar implementation-wise to India because, one, the new um, funding mechanism, because TikTok creators are actually paid now. It's similar to YouTube monetization, but it's literally one hundredth of the um, it is. It's 80-20, right? I heard it's 80-20. It's 80-20, but then yeah. the CPM is also like 100th of the value. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's three cents for every 1,000 views. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's a terrible, that's a terrible CPM. That's nothing. Uh, um, yeah. But then again, TikTok is easy virality. It's short form content. So it might make sense that that's also true comparative to YouTube. You make it um, up in volume. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah. so I think that that's, um, you know, I'm not going to use the word fair as much as the word proportional. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a much better word. So yeah. the, so the ban would affect it in the same way that it is in India. And if you look at India, the app is just not available and not accessible. People have suggested that, Oh, you get around that with a VPN. You don't, it's tied to the SIM. So oh, you don't, I talk to the security people. It's like, no, it's uh, and I also have friends abroad, our friends, D and Nick Nimmin, they, they've told me yes. how, um, how that works uh, with regard to VPN with that app. So that's mm. actually not an I option. I did not know that. Me. I thought that was the case. Oh, okay. That, uh, a lot of people did, but that's mm. what my friends abroad have said. Mm. I don't have personal experience with that, but I take them at their word on it. Um, <laughs> and um, so I think that, what what happens is you have all these people who would have a very difficult time moving their people to other platforms because that's notoriously difficult to do and uh, it has its own culture. Now, here's the other thing. Yeah. If America doesn't ban TikTok, but a bunch of these other countries do, then you have a different problem because now the reach has been nerfed. If a third of the market or two thirds of the market goes away, then your potential for rurality just got cut down to less than half of what it was. Your potential, you end up like Anakin Skywalker losing all your limbs on Mustafar. All your yes. potential. Just was that like, the name of the planet that he lost his limbs on? Mustafar? Yes, Mustafar. Oh, okay, yeah, it's like, make sure for our audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, you're Anakin Skywalker. It's like, uh, don't try it. <laughs> so um, that would be. That would be the problem in that um, scenario, even if TikTok isn't banned in the US, if it was banned in enough places. I mean, losing the Indian market is devastating and people would be like, well, isn't that mostly non-English speaking? Well, a lot of TikToks don't rely on language. So you still lost a large portion by virality. You lost over a billion users just like, uh, like, so everyone's like, why are my TikTok views down? It's like, 
you do realize that like one sixth of the world can't use the app anymore. And like yeah. one third of the people online in the world can't use the app anymore. Yes. So that's, um, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. The, um, so interestingly, Donald Trump is on TikTok's competitor Triller right now. Yeah, I, oh, he is. Okay. That's interesting. And he just joined uh, Telegram too, which I, I'm a big proponent yeah. of. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm trying to get into Telegram, but Triller is interesting. Triller yeah, is a creator first platform that is in the vein of TikTok. Um, Jake Paul is an investor. Snoop Dogg is an investor. And it doesn't have the numbers that TikTok has, mm-hmm. but it has a similar culture mm-hmm. and it's creator first. But the problem with any creator first platform, as you know, is longevity, money, and then also whoever the leadership is, their, their personal brand mm-hmm. could be a problem. But also if it's creator first, the creator is more invested in their personal brand than they are in the platform and the app. They're going to be more invested in their thing than in helping the rest of you yes. as they probably should be. But then you don't have, and you also don't have, if you have a creator first platform, you have leadership that is not engineering driven, which a lot of people are resistant to because they feel that YouTube and all these other things, because they're engineering driven, don't consider creators enough. But what they built functionally provides creators the ability to do for themselves very well, Mm -hmm. because there's a reason that content creators aren't engineers and engineers aren't content creators per se. There's a very specific skill set that goes with that. There's a very specific focus in addressing scalability. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the business part. These are people who's, yes, they are successful in building a personal brand. Building a personal brand is not the same thing as running a company and not running it, especially running a technology company, especially without a computer science background, without a marketing background outside your own personal brand, without that that acuum and these are also people that even if they have older people on their board of advisors or in leadership positions they're staffing out most of their leadership with young people with mm-hmm. no real world experience who literally have never worked in a company in an organization at a day job in their life yeah. there are advantages to that but if my livelihood is going to be in someone's hands i don't think that's the person's hands i wanted in if i'm on that platform and i want that platform to be part of how i make my living which is why you shouldn't rely on platforms independently. You should be agnostic about your platforms. You should be platform agnostic. But if I were a, all right, I was a TikToker and now, and I was exclusively that, and maybe I've dabbled in the other stuff, but now, all right, I moved everything to Triller because the TikTok went away or TikTok got hard or whatever happened or it got limited. I went to Triller, putting my fate in the hands of a company led by people who mostly may have just been able to reach voting age, may just have reached legal drinking age and have never held a day job in their life have and, and are all of a sudden responsible for payroll, for finding and hiring engineers um, who frequently every year have a new scandal. Yeah. Do I really want my fate in their hands? Do I no. really want to be tied to them? Uh, give me the Susan Wojcicki's, give me the Robert Kinsel's, give me the Jeff Bezos's, like, because... As an as um as unrelatable as they might be in some aspects for a creator, they're reliable AF. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to keeping the lights on yeah. and keeping the servers up, you, you can't argue with it. I want stability. Give me old, boring, milk toast, middle-aged CEOs any day of the week, <laughs> like when it comes mm. to relying on a payday. (laughs) You know what I'm taking from this, you know, your, your message, which you've given to me multiple times in person and on the the phone and variety of contexts, which is, you know, platform agnostic, not being wed to a platform. I was going to let you know about the analogy I came up with. And that is, you know, maybe creators should should consider themselves more like a, a music artist. You know, what music, a lot of music artists do is they travel around from, you know, they used to uh, travel around from state to state and they do concerts. And a lot of the time they play the same stuff. You know, they just, they, that's their content and they do it. And what's interesting is per state, per location, per city, they customize it, you know, hello, Los Angeles, California, we're going to play our song. And I almost think that creators should kind of get in that mindset where they're less worried about new material and more focused on quality material and then 
having a presence on these multiple sites because I foresee, and I've said it in my videos, that it's just going to get more and more crowded with platforms. Uh, like we talked about Telegram and Triller. You know, you, you know, I know we can't be all places at once, but what we can do is come up with quality content that we customize per platform. And so maybe my, my routine this month is about, you know, TikTok. And so as a result, I do a, a YouTube video about it and I customize it to my creator uh, audience there. And then I do a, a quick, you know, LinkedIn presentation about what TikTok is. But what it basically, it's material-driven uh, and then customization per platform according to where the eyeballs are at that time. Here's my thought on that. And here's how I think you can go truly, truly agnostic mm -hmm. is I don't think you even have to. Some stuff should be custom and tailor made to the quirks of platforms. Yeah. And the thing is, the good news about that is some of it can offer you diversity because you can use a different aspect of your personality that benefits around a platform um, versus another platform, something that is uh, for Instagram stories, maybe it's like not polished. And maybe if you're a woman, maybe it's you and you're going natural and makeup free um, there versus when you're more, you're more polished when you're on YouTube. And, but this is the real day to day. And that's the inside behind the scenes of your life, you yeah. know, and that might be, and a lot of people go that route, mm -hmm. um, you know, the entrepreneurs, a lot of them show the behind the scenes of stuff through one platform and they show the results on another platform. And that way you can start to get a whole more realistic picture instead of the highlight reel. Yeah. That's a, an avenue. But here's a big one. Here's a big one. Do you remember that how YouTube, the origins of YouTube started out was mostly content from like TV and movies finding its way to the internet? Yeah, that was, it's a review channel. I mean, that's how it started. Okay, and so the thing is that content wasn't made for YouTube, but it found traction, it lives on YouTube. Music videos are still the most popular content on YouTube. Agreed. Every one of the top 10 most viewed videos of all time is a music video. Yes. That is how it is. Yeah. Um, it's even why YouTube Rewind was um, a music video at some point. Uh, it started as a top 10 kind of thing, which also is another form of content that could live anywhere. If you make a good top 10 video, if you make a good music video, if you make a good TV or movie review, it doesn't matter if it's on YouTube, it could be anywhere and it would be good content to consume on the terms of the viewer, it, yeah. on the viewer's own terms, okay? So I think that people's problem is they look at these platforms and their vanity is what's killing their brand because they want to get these big numbers and they'll use every justification. Well, I need those numbers for the brand deals. I need those numbers for this or no one will take me seriously. Or da, da, da. It's like, yeah. if you make something good enough, it doesn't matter. Agreed. Agreed. I know small, but I know small channels and smaller like audience content creators who get opportunities with brands. A friend of mine, Chris, CKC, mm -hmm. she um, just got um, a, a, a brand um, collaboration with Studio Ghibli um, for a new film that they're putting out. You know, the same people who spirited away, all that stuff. She's a makeup artist and mm -hmm. a cosplayer and a streamer and a TikToker. Mm -hmm. She has 40,000 in TikTok. She has like 3,500, I think, in um, Twitch. And she has maybe four or 5,000 in Instagram, 2,000 in Twitter. So she doesn't have, aside from TikTok, mm -hmm. she doesn't have 10,000 followers on any of her platforms. She doesn't have 100,000 subscribers, uh, followers between all of her platforms. She has a YouTube channel where she think, I think she has like 3,000, 2,000 subscribers. Yeah. And guess what? Studio Ghibli like the um, studio when it comes to animation, one of the most beloved um, animation film studios in the world of all time, reached out and came to her. She didn't go to them with a collaboration, a paid collaboration for her as a makeup artist to do a cosplay look from a scene from the movie. Like, so don't tell me, and rationalize your vanity with you need the numbers to do your goals and everything like that. You need the content to be good enough and you need it to be in front of one person who is the right person to make your stuff happen for you. I get better deals than people with a million subscribers, Ian. You know that, you know the behind the scenes of my business. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's all about how you market and present yourself and it's the quality of your work. The reach will come 
if you're good enough eventually. And the thing is, sometimes people want to talk about quality over quantity. They don't talk about it when it comes to who's following them, though, now do they? No. They just want the numbers. They that's ego. Them. That's yeah. vanity. Yeah. So, And that's bad for business. The most expensive thing in business is your ego. Mm-hmm. The most expensive thing in life is probably your ego. I agree. So I, I think that, that their the problem is they're like, if I put stuff on this platform, I'm stealing a view from my platform over here and that's diluting my numbers and I I can't do that. I need to focus, 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 focus. How about you focus on the content and you put it where people want? Have you, we learned nothing from podcasting. Let people consume the damn thing the way they want to consume it. Like stop it. Make it less about you getting your numbers and about delivering for the viewer. And where on their terms, where they want to be, that's what being platform agnostic is, is make something good enough and make something that could live anywhere and have an audience and have um, demand built for it. Agreed. And have people talking. You know, it's it's the long tail. Seth Godin always talks about the long tail, about the fact that God, the rules haven't changed, guys. Yes, lots of technology has changed. But what you want to do is create a product or a service that people talk about. <laughs> and it's very, yeah. you know this is better than I do because you're a YouTube expert. Um, you know that one of the best uh, analytics um, uh, metrics that YouTube will analyze is shares. Yeah. Um, and if you get, I mean, I've, I've had a couple of videos that have done They're real well. And the reason the why reason things go viral. They're the main shares. things things go viral is the shares. It shares. You and I know it. We, we did uh, COPPA videos together. And the reason why we got the views we got was because people were like, you got to see this. That's what the kind of content you want to create is the stuff where, pe- where people says, you got to see this. Uh, there's some sort of authority that I gain by referring it to Roberto by saying, Hey, Roberto, have you seen this? And when that happens, that's when virality counts. So the and all, overall lesson for this, as far as the TikTok ban goes, is that if it does happen, you've got to be plat- platform agnostic and you've got to do the same thing you should have been doing in the beginning, which is creating the best possible content and getting the best possible distribution out there. And over time, it's taking what you've been on YouTube over 10 years, right? I've been active on YouTube for over seven years. I made my account uh, over 10 years ago, but I don't feel like when I was uploading four videos a year, I don't feel like that makes me a content creator. (laughs) So I don't like, I count everything from, cause I also had no subs back then. I count everything from July of 2013 Mm -hmm. because that's why I made a commitment to an audience by saying, I'm going to show up for them every week. And, um, keeping and honoring a commitment is what I think. I mean, it's different if you're making films and making super, super high end content that you can only put out once a month or doing like what Mr. Beast is doing. But like um, back in those days, I felt like being serious and taking something serious and calling myself a content creator meant putting, showing up every week for people and um, giving them real value and not ghosting them for months or years at a time. Um, when I was using it as video hosting and like, you know, so um, it took me 11 months to get 10,000 subscribers. Um, My second year I had 20,000 by the end of my third year, summer of 2016 is when I hit a hundred thousand. And before the end of this year, I think we're just going to just squeak to 500,000 at the end of this year. But it's been the learning experience of a lifetime. And I was creating content in a way on other platforms. I was a blogger before I was ever a YouTube. So you could say 10 years because I had a blog and I had a website and I was getting good interviews for that blog back then. That was mostly art focused, um, graphic Mm -hmm. arts, design, digital art. Mm -hmm. So what I would tell people is that building uh, your brand and building it to last and making sure that you can have a decade plus long career and then feel like you haven't peaked yet. Because that's where I feel I am. I feel like I've had a decade long career as a online creator, maybe longer if I really look back at the early days of the internet before social media, because I was actually making content on the internet before social media, but mm-hmm. I wasn't, I, w- I wouldn't say I was known, but people who saw my stuff liked it for the most part, but, yeah. but there wasn't social media to aggregate that or to measure it back then. Yeah. It was really weird to think about, but mm-hmm. um, being old school internet has taught me the value of longevity Mm-hmm. versus relevancy like relevancy lasts for like three to five years mm-hmm. after you initially blow up mm-hmm. if you keep hitting it hard and gain momentum yeah. but that's pretty much it after that it's downhill for most people from there you will still be a name you'll yeah. still matter you'll still be famous or whatever but yeah. your growth 
your growth is if you whatever you built over those five years once you quote unquote are known because even i'm not known not like that i'm known industry-wise i'm known by the insiders i am known by those people who are famous or who are big and some of them are clients and some of them are friends and um and some of them we do stuff behind the scenes not youtube collabs business collabs (laughs) which i like a lot more yeah exactly um these are the things that um that matter like so in my case my relevancy is in the macro behind the scenes of the people with the money, not the average consumer, Mm -hmm. your relevancy with the average consumer. Once you make it, at least from a social media standpoint, Mm -hmm. for most of these creators, it's a three to five year window of growing and blowing up and whatever your, whatever heights you reach in that three to five years Mm -hmm. for most people, there are exceptions. People find the exceptions, but Whatever you've built in terms of your base, your relevancy, your your that's that your fame, yeah. that's it. Yep. Now, in terms of your money, if you build a real business, that's different. In terms of your relationships, your contacts, your network, that's where the behind the scenes stuff matters. And yeah. that's why you could still, even if you're not known or at the height of your game anymore, mm-hmm. you can still be a player. A lot of the OG YouTubers though, they had no frame of reference from that and they were pioneers, which is why a lot of OG YouTubers with over millions of subscribers, they're coming out with stories now about how they've been financially struggling for the last few years or, or how they're broke or how they became yeah. broke. Glozell, 4 million, uh, she recently did a podcast episode with Sarah Dietschy about the same, the same thing. Yeah. Um, and it's because that's the difference between building a brand and building a business. Yeah. Um, Shameless Maya is recently in the, over the last couple of years come out about her financial difficulties and her struggles and about how important financial literacy is, especially if you never came from money. And if you get come into some, you think you're always going to have it. So these things overlap because when something happens and if the government's going to get involved in social media regulations like COPPA, like um, all these other things, uh, TikTok potentially being banned, wanting to look at whether they break up Google and Facebook and a lot of people cheering for that, not really thinking about the economic implications, not just for creators, but advertisers. This is a big ecosystem yeah. that people have no clue about when they cry out for these things. There's a reason though that oddly, it's so odd to me, many of these people calling out for this will swear up and down that they're anti-government intervention, that they're for small government and that they're for deregulation, except when it's people that they disagree with. Mm -hmm. And that is troubling to me because it has a wider impact on the the economy, the financial stability and sovereignty of this country than people would think about because they're not thinking about it. Yeah. All I do is think about it. <laughs> I know. You are a really smart guy. I really love listening to you. So I guess the kind of the, the lesson from it, as far as if it was banned, we really should be platform agnostic and put out good content. Uh, I want to take you to, because we're at the, at the end of our time here together, sure. my final point, And this is the really, really thing. Everyone's been tuned in to figure this out. Um, I have you on the record now, and you've made a number of videos. You've done the research about TikTok. But now, knowing what you know now, and knowing that this video and this podcast is coming out shortly before September 15th or the 20th or the 21st, is TikTok really going to get banned? Roberto, what say you? You should act as if it's a guaranteed certainty, whether it happens or not, because you won't, you won't have a, there's no downside to acting as if it's guaranteed certainty. You can still keep making TikToks but you should be doing everything else to build your brand as well. Okay. And, and I, I believe that a lot okay. of people will tell you to focus on one thing and everything like that. Not when that one thing has a guaranteed threat to it that's come out. And that threat happens to be the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would just like, I, I, I can't say for certainty it's going to get banned. I think you should act as if it's a certainty though. I, um, I think if there's a 1% chance, you should act as if it's a guaranteed certainty, Batman style, be paranoid as hell. And my, <laughs> my caveat also on this is um, with that in mind, in general, you should always assume chaos and you mm. should think about what do you do yeah. if YouTube not gets banned, but what if they just ban you? Yeah. Like, now granted, 
there's yeah. a there's a really slim chance that happens. People love to fear monger that. Yeah. Super slim chance. It's yeah. really hard to get banned from YouTube, to be honest. It's actually really hard. Uh, I'll, I will, we could argue about it because, you know, my creator clients come to me and they get three strikes in a row and then they say, I hear me. you. <laughs> I hear you. I'm yeah. saying it's easy to get those strikes and to be like, oh, God. But like in terms of it going through, it's very rare. Yeah. There are there's two million content creators and I doubt anyone um can name a, or put together a list of a thousand people that have been banned. The only people that I know that have ever been permanently banned from YouTube that were of a high level of um, yeah, relevance yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. were Leafy, Monkey Jones, Alex Jones. Yeah. And I believe that that's the extent of the list of people Mm -hmm. Keemstar has been banned before, but it was never a permanent ban. And he since got that resolved. He first used a legal loophole of ownership and then um, skirted around that. And then since his lifetime ban has been lifted, um, but it is very difficult. And I think a lot of people have been adamant about this. There are channels that should be banned from YouTube. It is very difficult to be actually banned from YouTube mm -hmm. and to be banned for no reason. There can be mistakes, but it's very hard. It's very hard to be banned from Twitter. It is very hard to be perma-banned from Facebook. Yeah. It is less hard to be banned from Twitch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I would just say you should have an exit strategy and a plan for what if that happens. It's no different than thinking about, well, what would happen? What would I do if I got fired? You have to have a plan for that because it's not up to you in many cases. So yeah. uh, as as... That, that's dark. Give me something positive to end on. Jesus. <laughs> well, listen, I'm taking from what you say that it doesn't matter uh, whether or not the ban will really happen. You should act as if it will. I want to put my, my two cents on the record. And I think that there's no way in heck uh, the ban will take place for either WeChat or uh, TikTok. Just an example. There was a recent lawsuit actually was filed uh, against President Trump. It's the Ryan versus Trump lawsuit. He's an employee of TikTok, um, uh, you know, five month long employee who's suing uh, the, the administration, basically saying, listen, you're preventing me from making my money. If you're going to ban TikTok, I want to be able to work for TikTok in America. It's a California corporation uh, and you're preventing me. And I think that there's going to be an issue concerning that the district court judge is going to have to rule on the, the validity of the executive order there. I think that the any transaction- Our district court judges appointed are they appointed or elected no they are appointed by the president yeah, yeah, yeah. They, with a nomination for by by senators yeah so so yeah. the judgment of a lawsuit against the president is in the hands of somebody who he gave the job to well, not necessarily because uh, federal judges are lifetime appointed. So it could have been with the Obama administration or some other administration. Well, but, I think he said, didn't yeah. he say that he's appointed 100 federal judges and he wants to appoint 200 more if he's reelected? Well, he's going to definitely do that. And if he's reelected, for sure. And that means that if the president makes a decision that cost you your job and you end up trying to sue him and the judge that is presiding over the case is what he appointed. Wow. How's that going to go? <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and I just think that I, I well, and you never know what the judge is going to do, but I just think that if the judge is following the law, it's not going to work out real well. Um, I think there's going to be a major firestorm against the president anyway. So that's hmm. my thought that I don't think it's really going to happen. Uh, but you never know. I mean, like you said, in India and other parts of the world, it is happening. Um, so we may see the decline of TikTok based upon these limitations that governments have put upon the app. If it doesn't happen in the U.S., it, you should still be worried about it happening everywhere else because that's all your reach. That's not your reach. Like you said, a third of the country or a third of the world, I mean. Well, listen, guys, we've come to the end of the Social Media Law podcast. Uh, we're also filming this for YouTube and the other social media platforms. So what I want to ask uh, Roberto to do, which we always do on YouTube, because we have to hand off to the next video. If you want to learn more about the TikTok ban or TikTok in general for creators and marketers and entrepreneurs, Roberto has done an amazing series on this. And so if Roberto can ask you to point up, cause I'm gonna, I'm gonna link the video um, uh, to uh, YouTube so that you can watch those videos and check him out. Uh, Roberto, where can the people reach you if they have more questions about creative entrepreneurship, uh, making money online, passive income? I know you're an expert on passive income. What are your links? 
Uh, so they can find me at Roberto Blake in all social medias. And on YouTube, you can find me at youtube.com slash Roberto Blake two. That is the number two. And of course, if you ever want to work with me as a content creator, you can sign up over at awesomecreatoracademy.com for coaching or for my membership. Yes. And also you just recently redid your website and it's robertoblake.com. Um, yes. If you want to look into me personally, or you want me to be a guest on your podcast, uh, you can go to robertoblake.com as well. And there's all kinds of information there for you. And also my blog, which I actually need to update. <laughs> awesome. Well, there's a lot out there um, for, uh, you know, if you're a fan of Roberto and want to learn more about him, Thank you so much, Roberto, for joining us. I thought this was a really awesome conversation. I could do this all day. Thanks for making time for us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Ian. All right. I'm Ian Corzine, the social media lawyer. Thank you so much for joining us on the Social Media Law Podcast. And if you have a chance, rate us on iTunes uh, so you can help us skyrocket up the charts. All right, that's enough for today. We'll see you next time. 